Well, if you can open up your Bibles, we are in the book of Acts. We are starting Acts chapter 25 this morning. We will be looking at verses 1 through 12. Give you a moment to turn there. Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summoned him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that, that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul neither argued in his defense, Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it recognize that anywhere you find true justice, there you find God's justice. How many of you know who Jack Phillips is? No? I didn't think so. He, he's the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop out in Colorado. You know him now? Yep. Now you know him, yeah. Yeah, recent years he's been getting into trouble with the state of Colorado. In 2012, he, he was fined for refusing to, to bake a cake for a same-sex mirage. The, the, the state, yeah, I'm not going to call, call it a marriage. The, the state argued that, that such a re refusal violated the civil rights of those who were, were requesting the cake. Jack, in turn, argued that to be forced to make such a cake, a cake that celebrated what in his eyes was an abomination to his God, well, that violated his religious freedoms as an American. And so the lines were drawn and the battle was waged, and while Jack continued to lose in the lower courts, he kept appealing to the higher courts until finally his case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And it was there that there in the highest court of the land that, that justice was served. 
on a 7-2 decision, it was deemed to be unconstitutional to force anyone into creating any form of, of an artistic expression that was not consistent with the creator's convictions. And because of this landmark case, because Jack Phillips appealed to a higher court, well now many other Americans are able to perform their craft under the convictions that they hold dear. This idea of appealing to, a, a, to higher authorities, it's not a new concept, right? I mean, this is made obvious in, in our passage for today, for, for we see the Apostle Paul appealing to Caesar almost 2,000 years ago. And so there's precedent for this type of practice. But the question we must ask is this, is, is this a good practice? Is this something that, that Christians should be doing? Should, should a disciple of Jesus be relying on an earthly government to rescue them? Or would that simply be a demonstration of their lack of faith in God? What, what this really comes down to is our understanding of how God dispenses his justice. How, how does one who is enthroned in the heavens bring about his divine justice to the world below? That's the question we're going to be looking at today. How does one who is enthroned in the heaven bring about his divine justice to the world below? Can he use these earthly authorities, or are they, they simply too worldly, too fallen, for God's true justice to shine through? Well, let's find out. Look, look at our passage once again. Look at, look at verses 1 through 3. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Now, if, if you remember from last Sunday, Paul had spent two years locked away in Herod's Praetorium in Caesarea. He had faced trial before Governor Felix, and yet Felix never reached a verdict. In his attempt to please the Jews, Felix refused to come to any decision, but simply left Paul behind bars. And yet in our passage for today, we see that a new sheriff has come to town, right? Governor Festus. Felix had been recalled to Rome because not only did he deny justice to the Apostle Paul, but, but he was pretty much ruthless to all of his people. After plundering and, and murdering many of those who were living in Caesarea, Emperor Nero decided to put a new man in charge, one who would be able to maintain justice and create the peace that Rome so desperately wanted. Now, I have to imagine that during Paul's two years in captivity, he must have been wondering to himself, how am I ever going to get out of Caesarea? How am I ever going to make it to Rome, to, to the place where the Holy Spirit has called me to go? I mean, he was stuck. 
Because of Felix's refusal to come to any decision, he, he was left stranded without any options. It, it, it's true what they say. Justice delayed is justice denied. But now, now with this change in leadership, perhaps a speedier decision was on its way. Did the installation of Governor Festus spell good news for the Apostle Paul? Or would Festus be just as corrupt as Felix? But, but why was Paul in prison to begin with? Well, it was because of the Jewish leadership within Jerusalem, right? They had accused this man of, of sedition against Rome. I mean, after two failed attempts to take Paul's life, they were now relying on the Roman courts to convict him of a crime worthy of death. And yet, even that failed, as the furthest that Governor Felix would go was to imprison Paul without giving a verdict. And so, and so in their minds, they too saw this change in leadership as an opportunity, an opportunity to finish what they had started. You see, being a, a new governor meant that Festus would have to prove himself in order to gain the respect of his people. And this meant earning favor with the local authorities, with those who had influence upon the people. And this is why we see in our verses uh, Festus making this trip to the city of Jerusalem. For, for he wanted to win favor with the Jews. But in order to do that, he needed to make friends with the Jewish high council. And so he met with the chief priests and as well as what Luke refers to us as the principal men of the Jews. And these men, they, they were not dummies. They understood that, that Festus desired to make a good impression. And so they saw this as their opportunity to exploit this young governor in order to get what they wanted. And what did they want? They wanted the Apostle Paul. They wanted him dead. They still had this vendetta against this man. And, and so they asked that Paul be delivered to them in order that he might stand trial. And yet, what were, what were they really hoping to do? They had concocted another plan to murder this man while he was on the road. You remember those 40-plus men who had made an oath neither to eat nor to drink until Paul was dead? I, I got to imagine they, the, they were pretty hungry and pretty thirsty by now. Uh, kidding aside, my guess is that these same men were involved in this new conspiracy. That they had come together once again, devised a new plan, a, a plan that, that looked very much like their old plan. Did it not? I mean, let's, let's trick this new governor. Maybe he'll deliver Paul to Jerusalem, and while he's on the way, we'll send our assassins to take Paul's life. I mean, sound familiar? I mean, were there no new ideas that they could come up with? No better ways of going about this? I mean, perhaps they thought that with, with Festus being a new and inexperienced governor, that, that he would be careless at his job. That he would slip up, 
make a mistake, send Paul to them, and, and perhaps do so without much protection. Well, let's, let's see if this new conspiracy would be more successful than their last. Look at, look at verses 4 and 5. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. Well, these Jewish leaders had misjudged Festus, and they had overplayed their hand. Governor Festus would not play the fool. Even though he was new at his job, he, he wasn't incompetent. To, to relocate the trial of a Roman citizen without that citizen's consent just wasn't done. There were certain rights that, that Paul had, and Festus knew this. Furthermore, for, for Festus to give in to such a demand would have, would have been a sign of weakness. And even though he wanted to gain the favor of these men, he, he didn't want to do so at the expense of his own authority. No, if they wanted to renew their case against Paul, they could, they could come with him to Caesarea and do so. And so again, we, we, we see the providence of God in this story, do we not? We see Christ's protective hand upon his apostle. Festus was not a dummy. He would not cave to, these, to, these, to the whims of these Jewish leaders. And because of that, Paul's life was rescued once again. The wicked schemes of these evil men had been thwarted. And yet, it seems that evil never rests, does it? For as we, as we will see, these men would take up the governor's invitation. They would go to Caesarea and renew their case against Paul. Look at verses 6 and 7. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Now the fact that Festus had summoned Paul on, uh, on the very day after he had returned from Caesarea demonstrated that he did want to show favor to these Jewish leaders. He, he, he would not sit on, on this case like Felix did. Rather, he would show that what they deemed as important, he deemed as important as well. And my guess is that he was hoping that that he would be able to convict Paul of some crime in order to give these men exactly what they wanted. But in order for him to do that, the, these Jewish leaders would have to provide a, a stronger case than the case they had provided before. I mean, after all, they, they had had two full years to prepare and to put, put forward some hard evidence. And yet, what does Luke tell us? that they brought many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. And bottom line, we have seen this trial before, have we not? These, these men, they, they gave no new charges. They gave no new evidence. The only thing that they had brought with them was their hatred and their venom for the Apostle Paul. 
Now I have to imagine that, that Governor Festus was not impressed. And in fact, we, we know that he wasn't. For just a little further down in the chapter, he would give this report to King Agrippa. Look, look at verses 17 through 19. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. I mean, now think about this. These men had two years to come up with a better story, to come up with better evidence than the evidence they had previously given. And yet they simply spewed the same lies. Lies that didn't even impress Felix, their former governor, who was very, very corrupt. And this left Paul with an easy defense. Look, look, look at verse 8 of our passage. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. Now Luke only gives us a condensed version of Paul's defense here. But, but as you can see, Paul, Paul was refuting the same charges that he had refuted in the last trial. He, he did not teach against any Jewish law as many had been claiming he had done, nor did he desecrate the temple, as these Jews had been suggesting, and in no way did he commit treason against Rome. And Paul was declaring himself innocent in all respects. So, so what do we see going on here? We, we, we see a, a weak prosecution and a case that was easily defendable. But why? Why bring such a weak case? I believe that there were two reasons. One, I believe that these men were still hoping for that favor from this new governor. That perhaps they thought to themselves that it didn't matter how strong their case was, but that Governor Festus would want to earn their friendship, and he would do so by ruling in their favor. But the second reason that I believe their case was so weak was because that there was no evidence for them to find. I mean, Paul truly was innocent. Bottom line, this, this was an easy case to decide. And yet the question still remained, would Festus seek for true justice or would he be just like Felix and deny justice for the sake of winning the favor of these Jewish leaders? Let's find out. Look at, look at verse 9. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Well, by now, Festus understood that these men had zero case against Paul. And yet, still wanting to throw these religious leaders a bone, he, he brings forth this suggestion of moving the trial to Jerusalem. 
Now, this is a strange request, to say the least, as Paul, being a Roman citizen, had already been moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea because there was a threat on his life. And so there was no justifiable reason for moving him back. And yet here Festus was, putting forward this question to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? I mean, what's going on here? Paul, he had to be thinking to himself, something is off. That, that Governor Festus wasn't on the up and up. And that he definitely didn't have Paul's best interest in mind. Did, did Festus understand what these Jewish leaders were plotting? That, that they were seeking to ambush Paul along the way? He may very well have assumed such a plot. I mean, after all, he would have read up on Paul's case file before bringing Paul before him. And in that file, he, he would have seen the letter that the Roman tribune, Claudius Lysias, had written to Governor Felix. And so he would have known all about the plot, all about the, the scheme that the Jews had made previously to get Paul in the open in order to assassinate him. And so this question that, that Festus now asked if Paul wanted to have his trial in Jerusalem, it, it just demonstrated that Festus had, had no concern for Paul's well-being. Rather, he was trying to please these religious leaders in order to curry their favor. And Paul, he had to have sensed this. This is why we see the response that we do. Look at, look at verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> but Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no, no, done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to these charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. As I was saying before, Paul was very apprehensive to all that was going on. This strange request to move the trial back to Jerusalem had put an anxious feeling into Paul's gut. And this is evidenced by his response. I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. In other words, I am exactly where I should be. And to move my trial to Jerusalem is shady at best. As we have seen previously in the book of Acts, Paul, he had no hesitation when asserting his rights as a Roman citizen. Remember when he was about to be whipped by the tribune, by Lysias, what did he ask? Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen? And now here, should his trial be moved to Jerusalem? Especially when all the parties involved are already present here in Caesarea? You see, Paul, too, he, he did not forget about the plot on his life just two years prior. 
He knew the depravity of these men and the depths that they would go to in order to get what they want. And now he was beginning to understand that this Festus, well, he just wasn't that interested in justice. Rather, what he was interested in was gaining powerful allies. And it's not that Paul feared death, for what did he say? That if he had committed some type of crime, that he would not run from true justice. And yet, here's the thing. Festus knew as much as Paul did that the crimes that these men were accusing him of were, were simply fabrications. For they had no real evidence, and they had proven nothing. The only reason Paul was still in chains was because Festus wanted to please these men. And so no, Paul would not be used as some pawn in order for Festus to gain favor with these Jewish leaders. Instead, Paul would seek justice from a higher authority. And this is why we see this appeal to Caesar. Let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about what it means to appeal to Caesar. By appealing to Caesar, Paul would be placing himself outside of the jurisdiction of the governor. His case would now, now go before Emperor Nero. In essence, Paul was seeking justice from the highest earthly authority of his day. And this leads us back to our question. How does one who is enthroned in heaven bring about his divine justice to the world below? Can he do so through these earthly authorities? Here's what you need to understand. When the Apostle Paul was making his appeal to Caesar, he was also making appeal to God's justice. Now you, now you may be asking yourself, but Pastor Corey, how can that be? Caesar is not God. Of course he's not God. And yet, Caesar is God's servant for the administration of God's justice. Consider Paul's words in his epistle to the Romans. It's in this letter where, where Paul speaks about our role as believers in submitting to earthly authorities. And yet when Paul explains this, there is, there is something else in this passage that we must observe. L listen to what he says. Look at, look at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval." For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, while these five verses could be a whole sermon in themselves, there's really one point that I want to highlight as it as it ties into our passage for today. And that point is this. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, there is not a government on this planet that has not been established by God for the good of God's people. Again, you may be saying to yourself, but wait a minute, what about nations like North Korea? What about Islamic nations, nations where Christians are oppressed, where brothers and sisters in Christ are living in hardship and are being martyred? Surely government like, governments like those have not been established by God. Here's my answer to you. Let God's word be true and every man a liar. Yes, even governments like those have their purpose. And yet here's the caveat. Not only does this passage speak to the responsibility of the believer, but it also speaks to the responsibility of those who govern. For what does Paul say? Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And again, he is God's servant for your good. And furthermore, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so what we see here is that the responsibility laid forth in God's word is for these authorities, for the authorities of this world to govern rightly, to distinguish between good and evil, to rule justly. That is their role. That is what God has called them to do. Now, is there any nation on this planet that does this perfectly? Absolutely not. And there are certain nations that that do an extremely poor job of this. And trust me when I say this, God will hold them accountable, whether in this life or in the next. But as far as they are doing their duties, then we are to be in in obedience to them. And in certain, certain cases, we need to be looking to them as an avenger. One who will carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And this is exactly what we see the Apostle Paul doing in our passage. He was looking to Caesar as his avenger. He was looking to Emperor Nero in order to bring God's justice. It's a little bit of irony there, isn't there? And yet... Because Paul understood that Nero was God's servant, that that Nero had been placed in his position for the good of God's people, because Paul understood that that's how he could appeal to Caesar. (laughs) 
Jack Phillips, that cake baker from Colorado, that, that man who had appealed all the way to the Supreme Court and won? Well, he's been in the headlines again, only this time for refusing to bake a cake that celebrates a person's misguided transgender beliefs. And again, it is his home state of Colorado who's trying to find him. And just like before, this is about Jack's religious freedoms as well as the state trying to force this man to make a moral expression that goes against the central beliefs of his Christian faith. Now think about this. Jack has been in legal battles for over 10 years now. 10 years of being seen as a bigot by many Americans. 10 years of wondering if his business will survive. 10 years of worrying about how he's going to provide for his family. 10 years of sleepless nights due to the stress that these legal troubles have brought. So why does Jack fight? Wouldn't the easier thing to do be to simply pay the fine and then move his business to some other state, to a, to a state that isn't out to get him? The reason Jack fights is because just like Paul, Jack understands that God has established these governing authorities, that they are God's servants for the good of God's people. They are God's avengers carrying out his wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, now, does this mean that these government officials will always be on the side of justice? Of course not. I mean, just consider to whom the Apostle Paul was appealing. He was appealing to Nero. The same emperor who would one day blame the Christians for his own messes and begin his own crusade trying to eliminate them. The, the same emperor who would one day light his garden parties by turning Christians into torches. The same emperor who would eventually remove the head of this apostle, turning him into a martyr. And so, no, we will not win every battle. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't fight. Because when you fight, you are fighting for what is true. When you, when you fight, you are fighting for what is right. When you appeal to Caesar, you are appealing to God's justice. But that's not all you're doing. Consider the wisdom of King Solomon. Look at, look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 15. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. I mean, do you see it? When, when justice is on display for all to see, it, it makes the rest of the world around you a safer place. That's why the righteous, those who live upright lives, have joy. And it's why those who commit evil acts shrink in terror. Because they know that evil cannot win. And that's because, that, that's because there are good men who are willing to fight for God's justice. And so when you appeal to Caesar, you truly are creating a safer world 
But there's even more. For, for when you appeal to Caesar, understanding that Caesar is God's man, you are also declaring to those around you who the king of this world truly is. That Jesus is reigning. And that's because true justice can only exist when Christ is sitting on his throne. And let me tell you, Jesus is on his throne. I mean, isn't this what Jesus claimed right before he ascended? Look, look, look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. I mean, what does this mean other than Jesus is now ruling? Listen, no matter where you live, no matter what nation you live in, whether it's a nation like ours or whether it's a nation like China or North Korea, it is Jesus Christ who has supreme authority. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, think about it. Do you, do you seriously believe that, that the government that Paul was appealing to was godly? That, that Emperor Nero was a man of good and noble character? Absolutely not. And Paul knew this. He, he knew this when he penned his letter to the Romans. And yet Paul appealed to Caesar anyways because it was the right thing to do. And whether Caesar administered justice or not, whether he, he, he gave Paul his due or whether he subverted justice, well, that was beside the point. Because Paul knew that Jesus has ultimate authority. At our small group last Thursday, we, we were having this discussion around this very issue. We, we were asking the question, when should the, the Christian fight for justice and, and when should they just throw up their hands and, and simply leave it up to God? I, I think the answer to that question comes down to what we believe about Jesus Christ. Do we believe that Christ is ruling today or do we not? Because if he's not, well then, then we shouldn't expect any form of real justice here in this life. But if he is, well, then it is our duty as his disciples to appeal to these worldly authorities and demand justice. And if justice comes, well, then great. It simply demonstrates the progress that Christ's kingdom is making in our world today. But if the justice doesn't arrive, well, then the last appeal that we are to make is to God himself. We are to warn these ruling authorities that there is another, another who has authority over them. And that one day they will be sitting in the opposite seat, having to give an account as God's servant for the job that they have done. And if they were on the side of justice, well, then there's nothing to worry about. But if they have denied justice, well, then they have a big, big problem. And this is just one more reason that we should appeal to Caesar. 
For when you appeal to Caesar, you are letting Caesar know his responsibilities before an almighty God. That the power that he wields has been given to him by someone higher than himself. And that if he abuses that power, well, then he will be the one who will be judged. So what does this all mean? When, when we boil this all down, what, what are we talking about? We are, we are talking about how God uses these worldly authorities, even the wicked ones, to dispense his justice. And so when you are appealing to Caesar, it's as if you are appealing to God himself. For it is his justice that you are seeking. And that's what we need to understand. Well, this appeal that Paul had made, well, it needed to be first approved by Governor Festus. And so the question we need to find out, what, what would Festus do? Would, would he deny justice to the Apostle Paul? Or would he do the right thing and grant Paul's request? Look, look at our last verse. Look at verse 12. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Paul's request was granted. And really, Festus had no other choice. I mean, think about it. What were his options? And he could have simply acquitted Paul and released him, but, but that would have created a, a disastrous beginning with, with these Jewish leaders whom Festus was trying so hard to win over. He could have denied Paul's appeal and, and sent him to Jerusalem anyways. And yet that would have gotten him into trouble with every Roman citizen within his province. For if word had spread, it would have demonstrated that Festus had no regard for the rights that they possessed. Honestly, the only solution that Festus had was to grant the appeal, and thus distancing himself from the whole mess. And if this upset the Jews, well, he could simply shift the blame to Paul. He could say that his hands were tied. Honestly, by Paul appealing to Caesar, it gave this governor an easy way out. And yet, what did this appeal mean to Paul? Well, it meant that finally, finally, after two years of being behind bars in Caesarea, God was now delivering his servant to Rome, to the destination to which he had been called. God had chosen the long road for the Apostle Paul, and yet it was a road that he needed to take. A road where God's justice would be on display for all to see. And he has called each and every one of you to follow that same long road. The road of seeking justice in this life. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 say this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. 
Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Listen. Shying away from fighting for what is right and just simply because you are living under a secular government, well, that's not an option. God is calling you to appeal to Caesar. That is why you are to fight for things such as the the abolition of abortion. That is why you are to, to fight for things such as prayer and schools and the ability to share one's faith freely. Because when you appeal to Caesar, you are appealing to God's justice. When you, when you appeal to Caesar, you, you, you are creating a safer world for your neighbor. When you appeal to Caesar, you are declaring to this world that Jesus is king. And when you appeal to Caesar, you are letting Caesar know that he must answer before an almighty God. Bottom line, when you appeal to Caesar, it's as if you're appealing to God himself. And his justice cannot be thwarted, not even by the mightiest rulers in this world. So you are to fight for God's justice because that's what his kingdom demands. Let's pray. Father, Even though we live in a world that is opposed to you, even though we live in a world that is opposed to your justice, we we understand that it is you who is sovereign over all things. And so we ask you this day to give us the courage to fight, to fight so that we might see true justice in this world, the justice of your kingdom. Help us to understand that that your son, that our savior, that King Jesus is sitting upon his throne even as we speak. And then let this knowledge move us to become bold witnesses for you. We can only do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. So fill us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.